Hi, everybody, and welcome to this installment of the TCU Neely School Business Real Estate Webinar. Uh, my name is Carl Pancras, and I'm an adjunct professor at TCU, and I am also the managing director uh, of Blackacre Commercial, the sponsor for today's event. So uh, very excited about the guest we have in Emmanuel. Uh, I actually met Emmanuel Meta at a leadership uh, program uh, through ULI, and uh, it's been fun to follow his career, but um, before we get started with Emmanuel, I want to bring in my co-pilot, you know, the reason that we're allowed to do this, um, somebody that I'm so lucky to work with, Christina Rangel-Batista. Christina, what's going on at TCU? Hey, Carl. So we are um, rocking and rolling. We are getting ready for our fall cohort to come in, and so we're staying busy here at TCU. Campus is bustling, and um, all good things. I know that you've got some classes in motion, and um, have been doing really great stuff. So we enjoy being part of the, your weekly real estate um, podcast and are always excited to hear what's going on. Emmanuel, we're very excited to hear from you and even more excited that we're able to share these weekly podcasts with um, our current students and those that are thinking about the program as well as alums. I see Chad Rowan is here today um, and JD is a regular attendee every week. So it's great opportunity for alumni to tap back in and hear from others. Um, and then anyone thinking about it in MBA, you know, staying on the ups with the real estate industry is incredibly valuable. We also have, you know, real estate electives that you teach in the program that we're excited about. Um, and I know that Emmanuel went to Macomb, so our neighbor down the way for his MBA. So we're excited about that. And so he knows the value of that academic experience that we're trying to deliver um, here and beyond. So thanks for having me. Christina, thank you as always. And uh, go Frogs. Go Frogs. All right. Uh, so today's a little interesting because we uh, actually have a, a co-host. Uh, so Sam Bates with Trinity Capital uh, happened to uh, join us today. So Sam will be asking some questions as well. And uh, with that, we get to our guest speaker. And uh, again, we talked a little bit about Emmanuel. Uh, you know, Emmanuel is, uh, again, somebody that I've been following for a while. Um, he's, he's uh, you know, I knew him at his last stop uh, at Price Realty where he was head of acquisitions. And now, it's hard to pick up a, uh, a a real estate commercial paper or trade publication and not see another deal that Emmanuel Meta has purchased with True America. So he is just on fire. And uh, with that, Emmanuel, just you know, let's just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Carl, appreciate you having me. Um, yeah. So my name is Emmanuel Meta. I work at True America. Um, I run our central region um, investment efforts there. Uh, so that's Texas and north through the Midwest. Um, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, um, specifically Irving, Texas, went to Irving MacArthur, um, went to UT undergrad, worked in, I was a PR major, did investor relations marketing for about five or six years. One of my clients at the time was um, a local developer, kind of fell in love with real estate through my interactions with those with, with those folks. So decided I wanted to go back in my MBA just so just I can kind of bone up on more of my quantitative and quantitative skills. So went back to McCombs in 08, uh, or 06, graduated 08, um, and then entered the real estate workforce uh, in 2008. So, you know, getting your MBA, obviously a lot of the, you know, I teach in the MBA department at TCU. And sometimes the question is, especially in real estate, you know, what is gained by getting your MBA? Can you talk about, you know, kind of what advantage or you know, maybe what lessons you learned and benefits you received from getting your MBA? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it's, you know, I think there are a lot of people in my boat, um, you know, not having, you know, true finance background as far as, um, you know, 
I didn't go through McCombs the first time, you know, took some finance and marketing classes, but not the, not the full finance uh, acumen that I would have liked to have. So I think going back to McCombs allowed me to just dive in um, on that part of, you know, um, you know, learning how that works and learning, you know, how that applies to real estate. And I think the advantage there is you you get immersed in it and you get exposure to different parts of the industry, different folks. It's just not the, you know, blocking and tackling of learning how modeling works or, you know, what all the different different um, avenues you can go as far as if it's what product type, if it's industrial, multi, um, retail. You know, I think the true advantage just is just the exposure you get to real life experiences, people that have been in the industry and just, you know, this is such a relationship business. I think that you learn that early on in your uh, MBA career. Are there any kind of classmates or, or any relationships that you kind of built at McCombs that, that have you know helped you kind of with your career today? Yeah, I mean, I'm still in touch with, I mean, most of the folks that went real estate full time were all pretty much you know tight knit group. Uh, Adam Williams, who started a company, Denali, um, local Dallas group, and he focuses in on you know all product types from retail office to multi. Um, he's always a good sounding board for me. We kind of bounce stuff off each other as far as you know, what we're seeing in different markets, what we're seeing, um, you know, different deals. And I think, you know, being able to have confident confidants like that helps just because it helps you kind of broaden your perspective. And I, sometimes we kind of get busy, you know, focusing deals, chasing on deals that you get a little tunnel vision. So it's good to see what other people are doing in, you know, different avenues of industry. And what you said about, you know, one of the reasons is to really bone up on finance, you know, understand modeling, you know, that, that is, you know, some of the essence, especially if you didn't go to the business school for your degree. So for instance, I was an advertising major. So, you know, I, I definitely needed grad school to, to bone up as a business, uh, as, as a business person. So, um, you know, it's a really good example of why do you, you know, kind of seek your degree. So at this point you've, you've gotten your degree, uh, you know, you've, you've gotten your MBA and uh, now you're ready to go take on the world. So after you graduated with your MBA, it's always fun to hear the journey. What was that first stop for you, Emmanuel? Yeah, so um, I interviewed with uh, Archstone, which is, you know, one of the largest multifamily owner operators at the time in 2008. Um, it was kind of a funny time because, you know, this is you know, right after the, 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 the real estate crash. Uh, but, you know, to, to the credit of leadership there, um, you know, they recruited me, offered me and, you know, kept me on board, even though, you know, I didn't think that was going to happen at the time, but, you know, they were very adamant about, uh, they have this, they had this management development program that they would choose a few candidates. And the idea is you would essentially rotate between different functions in the organization. So you can get a better breadth of what the culture is like, how they think about business. Um, and then you would get placed in a home. So for me, I was interviewing for the investments route. So my experience there was from operations to corporate finance, um, to development, to investments, where I ended up and spent the last two and a half years. You know, it was great experience. They moved me around a little bit as far as, you know, different functions, but also different parts of the country, D.C., Atlanta, uh, Denver. So, you know, just getting that that exposure to the different product types and, and different and different parts of the country, it's, it was really a great learning lesson for me. So, Emmanuel, before we bring in Sam... Now let's pause to hear from today's sponsor. Apartment owners have a lot on their plate. Dealing with lenders doesn't need to be one of them. At Blackacre Commercial, our team is comprised of individuals with high-level experience in real estate law, title insurance, city council, and acquisitions. Thus, unlike other mortgage brokers, we not only get you a great loan, we get you to close. 
Whether you are looking for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, Bridge, or Life Company loans, we are ready to help. Let Blackacre Commercial's National Network of Lenders and Equity Providers handle your next apartment refinance or acquisition. For more information, give us a call, 806-438-7194, or visit us at blackacrecommercial.com. Kind of what, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that they were able to quickly, you know, you were able to see so many markets so quickly. Um, but, you know, kind of where you initially hired on as an analyst, um, is that kind of where you grew from? Uh, you know, was it a numbers driven position? Um, you know, was there exposure to property management? Just well, kind of again, hitting on that first job, kind of what, what were those first core duties? Yeah. So for me, since it was a rotational, essentially supposed to be a 18 month rotational that turned into almost you know, 30, just because we were in the economy, you, you can imagine how popular someone was with the MBA that doesn't hit anyone's PL. So, um, <laughs> I kind of got extended out a little bit, uh, but it, you know, for me, it was fine just because it was good exposure. Yeah, but it's 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 from an analyst standpoint, so which I think helped me because since you're rotating, it's not like you can really do too much in depth. But as far as you can't immerse yourself for you know a year and a half and get that momentum, and I think you know when you're an analyst, I think that's when you start to turn the corners after after a year. But what it allowed me to do is kind of the premises understand you know, what drives the engine on different parts of the business. So that when I was in the investments role, that like, okay, I see how this works with operations. So it's not totally foreign to me or how the corporate finance part ties in or how it ties in with development and, you know, on the acquisition side, kind of going arm in arm. And so speaking of acquisition side, uh, now you've been director of acquisitions at two firms. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about kind of what is, what is the typical duty of a director of acquisitions? Yeah, I mean... I mean, the, the primary task is to find investment opportunities um, um, that fit our investment criteria. But along with that goes, you know, A, finding the deals, B, you know, working with folks like yourself to help us finance the deals, uh, working with equity partners to determine, you know, what deals fit in their box, what deals don't. And then there's processing the deal once the deal's awarded to you, you know, getting it from, okay, we've got 30 days to go in and do our due diligence and see what, if anything, is wrong with the property that needs to be corrected, refining your underwriting for, you know, different capital needs, and then getting it through closing. So, you know, that's kind of like the the process itself. But in that, it also takes, you know, like I say, it takes a, takes a village to do X, whatever that may be. It's the same thing with acquisitions. I mean, you know, we're working with our asset management group. We're working with our equity partners. We're working, like I said, with our lender, lender, lender friends. Uh, working with third-party um, vendors to help us with uh, our inspections, with um, you know, running down random things that can can happen in a deal that you don't expect. So um, you know, it's that's uh, easy A to Z, but it's every deal takes a life of its own. Uh, Sam, go ahead. Carl, thank you for having me on, and Emmanuel, it's great to meet you. I'm. Similar in your shoes, um, I'm a general partner on over $100 million worth of multifamily deals at this point. And the market's changed a lot over the last five to seven years. How has your criteria changed and what type of deals are you now maybe looking at where or just your criteria and buying decisions different from five to seven years ago? Well, it's funny because... Um... Like my, I started to think up about, it's actually a year, a year to the date on. Um, and we focus purely on value add, um, you know, B, A minus, you know, core plus type of product where 
previously, you know, focusing in kind of from, you know, from B to A to new construction. Uh, so for me, it's just changed, you know, focusing purely on the, the value add space, uh, but looking at just kind of the industry in general, just multi, I mean, pricing is, you know, it's, it's changed so much as far as if you look at like per unit, um, cap rate compression. Um, and a lot of that's just due to, if you look at just alternate investment vehicles, I mean, multi and industrial are kind of the ball of the dance right now. So we're having a lot of equity enter the space that hasn't previously been there. Um, you know, currently there's not as many deals trading as if you looked at, you know, five, six years ago. So, I mean, there's a myriad of things that's causing, you know, it to be a little bit more expensive, if you if you would, for us to be able to get deals done. But that doesn't mean that you can't do it. It's just you have to kind of find different ways to skin a cat when it comes to, um, you know, the new, what I would say, the new, the new era of, of where we are in the cycle. Manuel, you know, kind of earlier in your career, you focused a lot on 80s. Have you felt yourself looking more at 90s and 2000s or are you kind of sticking in that 80s wheelhouse? No, I mean, like, so we look at both. Um, I mean, the, the, the thing that's funny about 80s is it's we kind of forget and it's probably talking to the right audience here when it's when it's you and me. Uh, I mean, 80s is that's 40 years ago. Um, so something you got <laughs> Like, is it really B? And if you are buying, saying if you buy a 1980s deal and it's a B product, you know, if you have a five to seven year whole period, are you still selling a B? So it's things like that you got to take into account when you're looking at um, your exit cap rates and, um, you know, how much you do, you know, invest as far as the value add in those deals. Uh, but I mean, there is an affordability crisis, um, you know, that's continuing to take place as far as housing and housing shortfalls for you know, across, across the board, across America. So kind of our um, mantra here is, you know, we just want to be able to find good places that good real estate that's located in good places. Um, we're not trying to make the Taj Mahal, but if we can make it some, some place that's nicer by value adding it, uh, that makes people more proud of their home. We think it's a win-win. I don't know. I will say there's a lot of things in the eighties that still last forever. MC hammer, parachute pants, uh, tang, <laughs> So I don't know. There's a lot of good things that came out of the 80s. So Sam, go ahead. I think you had one more question. Yeah, Carl, I, I agree. There's a lot of great things that are going to last a long time in the 80s. And you'll, yeah, you hit the nail on the head with pricing and just cap rate compression for a lot of different reasons. But you have to analyze deals a lot differently than you did even two years ago or even pre-COVID. Um, but with saying that, um, you're looking at uh, hundreds of deals a month. What makes a deal um, worth your time to look at and analyze to see if it's a good fit for your portfolio? Um, I mean, if it's off market, it, it jumps to the front of the list just because it's uh, easier to take those down than getting a fist fight with other, uh, with other buyers. But just on the, the crux of the deal, I mean, location is key. Um, we'll look at you know, a variety of sources on rent growth uh, for the submarket because, you know, all these deals, you know, every submarket is a kind of takes life of its own. So that's where we start. And then um, just me covering the state for the last seven, eight years, I've got a good feel for, you know, different submarkets, what's going on as far as, you know, in the supply pipeline. Uh, so we kind of take all those factors to determine, you know, what jumps to the front of the list and how we prioritize which deals we should take a look at. Yeah, anytime you can get an off-market deal, you've got to go after it. And 
Um, it's your best it's hard to, I'm sorry, what was that? I said it's your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'll turn it over to Carl to finish asking me the question. Well, you know, Sam, uh, you know, kind of, you know, manual kind of similar, you know, even off market, it's, you know, are, are you seeing a lot of deals in which, you know, at this point, so many properties have been value added and then value added and value added. So when you're looking at kind of the next generation value add, are you still seeing deals that have untouched units or is it most of the deals you're buying a management play of, I can just run operations better than they did? No, I'm, it's, it's honestly both. Um, you know, we still see a lot of deals that have, you know, untouched units. It might not be, you know, 100% untouched. It might be 60% of units are original. Uh, you know, and there are deals that have had a value add. But if you look at it, that goes back to, you know, if you're doing a, if you were doing a value add in 1995 for a 1980s deal, I mean, it's to us, it's, uh, it's almost a new value add uh, proposition. So, you know, we see, you know, a myriad of opportunities um, from, you know, 100% value add to, you know, it's people left some meat on the bone for 60% of it. Um, you know, it just really varies uh, across the board. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, with that, I know you're still a buyer. Um, you know, we're to the point to where a lot of times you're going in cap rate on a T12 is, you know, four and a half and, and maybe under that, you know, pushing four. So it's, uh, it's definitely an art, you know, it, it's, uh, you have, it's not, you know, you really can't miss on property management, on buying it right, on your CapEx. Uh, you know, so with that vein, knowing it's gotten harder, um, I guess the question is, are you, you know, you've been buying in the past or are you going to continue buying? Yeah, I mean, like, as long as we're finding good real estate um, that's well located, um, you know, in markets that have good employment and population growth, I mean, we're always going to be active. I think the thing when people see all this cap rate compression, they forget sometimes, um, which, you know, is debt's so cheap right now. If you look historically at just the delta between the 10 year and where cap rates are, it's somewhere around 325 bips. So if you say, you know, debt's moved, what, 50 bips from January to today. So it's, you know, it's pushed out a little bit, but still, if you just do that math, you're saying on average, a cap rate should be, you know, 475 today. That's on average. That's not saying for what we're doing for, you know, A or B space, just, you know, for the ABC space. And I think right now on average, things are trading somewhere around a four and a half cap. So uh, maybe things are a little more expensive than they have been. But uh, like I said, I think as long as you're buying, as long, as long as you stick to key principles of, why why you like real estate or why you like a specific deal and for us you know it's population employment growth uh rent growth um you know low low supply uh barriers entry and i think as long as you're doing that um and you're sticking to the and you're still getting debt at you know less than two percent i don't think the four percent cap rate scare us as, as much as people think yeah so kind of moving away from kind of real estate questions to more leadership questions. You know, Manuel, we, we started off by saying that I met you at a leadership uh, seminar. Well, now um, True America, uh, a firm based in Los Angeles, has now brought you on uh, you know, headquarter uh, Texas acquisitions at the very least. And uh, so now it's kind of your charge with building a team. Um, you mentioned you have office space, but you know when you're looking for analysts or when you're looking to hire people under you, kind of based on what you've learned throughout the past, you know, what are some of the traits that uh, you look for? You know, one of the things, you know, obviously we, we talked about this a while going back to business school, just to kind of beef up on the, uh, you know, the quantitative skill set and modeling. I mean, that's, that's a key skill that, you know, 
coming in and as an analyst that you're really going to have to be strong on. Uh, but I don't think necessarily it's, you know, lack of a better term, the quant jock is the one that's always the best fit. There's also the balance of, you know, we, we really look for people that are problem solvers, critical thinkers, um, you know, back to the beginning of the conversation on, you know, what I do for a living and how there's just different aspects of it that aren't necessarily always the same on every deal. Um, I think when we have young people come in that have that ability, have that um, kind of the ability to question things in a good way, kind of a thirst for wanting to know why, I think th that's the skill set that's the most uh, the most useful. I mean, the reason that, you know, hopefully if we're doing this right, you want your analysts to be the kind of the um, the base or the, the driving engine of your talent pool. So, you know, if we can find people that have, you know, that quantitative skill set, but more importantly, critical thinking skills, I think that's that's the best of both worlds. You know, and, and, and with that, uh, you know, kind of a question that we had talked about previously, but you know, you've really been able to navigate a lot of different firms. Well, what are you doing different than your peers? You know, there's a lot of people that have been maybe analysts for longer than they wanted to um, versus you. You know, you've been, you know, the lead acquisitions uh, person at two different firms. So you've, you've seen an acceleration of your career path. Like what, you know, what are you doing differently than your peers, I guess? I think something that's important, um, I mean, especially with real estate, it's such a relationship business. I think um, networking is key, building relationships. And by that, I'm not saying just go into some, some broker event and then showing up. I, I think, you know, Carl, you do a really great job of this, is following up with people, you know, creating those relationships. Um, you know, True America, that's something that they really pride themselves on. And it kind of goes both ways from acquisitions and dispo side. And I think, you know, kind of keeping that to, at the forefront is something that I wish I would have done when I was younger. You know, obviously, you're just so busy trying to learn as much as you can and get things done that you don't always make that a priority. But I think that's one of the key things that helps um, helps uh, kind of propel you in your career when you're able to kind of have that balance and make sure that, you know, you're, you're active, but you're also creating, you know, valuable relationships with other people in the industry. And last question, which is pretty similar to what we discussed, is I always like to ask, you know, now that you're, you know, pretty far into your career, you know, there was at one point a 25-year-old Emmanuel Meta that's trying to figure out, you know, how are they going to, how are they going to navigate the world? And, um, you know, you've, you've seen so much at this point in real estate. So if you're looking at that, you know, that 25-year-old Emmanuel came to you for advice, you know, what, what is just, I know it's a general question, but I'll just leave it wide open. You know, kind of in retrospect, what are what are some of the what are some of the ways you would advise? Now, something I didn't realize, um, and I think it's when you get older in the industry, um, you know, just reaching out to people that are, um, you know, older than you and just asking for a cup of coffee. Um, you know, I strongly suggest that because people ask me that and I do it all the time. And when I was 25, I was like, well, there's no way this guy's going to want to meet with me. Um, you know, obviously, you just have to find those ends, you know, for example, if it's someone from, um you know, ULI, because um, I have a, you know, affinity for, for that organization, or if it's somebody from McCombs, or if it's someone from the local universities, if it's SMU, uh, TCU, if it's North Texas, um, you know, I always have time for that, because my thing is, you know, there were people along the way that were really good to me to help me help grow my career. You know, I feel like it's my responsibility to do the same. Uh, but I didn't necessarily have that outlook of how people would be willing to help me. Um, I, I, I think that's something that you know young people should know that you know you should reach out to people. Um, you'll be surprised how uh, eager they will be to 
kind of help you and see what they can do to kind of push you along in your career? Yeah. Well, you know, with that, Emmanuel, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's, it's fun to see that you know, I've met you at several events, but it's always fun to go a little deeper in our friendship. So, um, really learned a lot about you and, and man, I'm inspired by just seeing your name and every acquisitions notebook in BFW. So, you know, congratulations on all your success and thanks for joining us. Sam Bates, Trinity Capital. Um, really appreciate having you on. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Carl. I appreciate being on as well. Yeah. And, and Christina and Christina Rangel Batista, just, you know, thank you for, for all you do. And, and I just highly, you know, I saw an email today in which uh, the energy MBA is now going to be part of Neely. And so I, I, I honestly, I don't know many schools in which if you're getting an MBA, you're going to have the opportunity to meet the best and brightest and not just real estate, but now in, in, in the, you know, in the energy business. So exciting times to be a part of Neely. So thank you. Thanks for having me. And thanks, Manuel. I think you made some great points about just networking and relationship building and not really hesitating to have those conversations and be intimidated by it. Because I think the sooner folks feel, realize that, um, you know, the sooner they can start expanding their network and hanging on to it moving forward. Um, so thank you for sharing your insights. That was great. Thank you. And Carl, thank you again. I appreciate you uh, taking time to have me on. Yeah, it, it's our absolute pleasure. Thank you, everybody.